You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. So today we're back for another of what I'm calling Dr. Ken's Feeding the Mouth Essentials. And this was an episode that we did where we took on the issue of teenagers and entitlement. I really felt this was an important discussion that is worth uh, revitalizing because of the importance of parents stepping back and really thinking about what is it we're trying to accomplish in releasing our teenagers into adulthood and especially the role of serving others rather than only being fully prepared ourselves, being unselfish, that sort of thing. So today's discussion I think is important to revisit and think about uh, the goals that we are teaching our children of any age, but our teenagers particularly, about the role that they can and need to play in the lives of others. Jessica, you and I have had this talk several times over the years about entitlement in in all of our kids, but today we're going to specifically hone in on teenagers. Good. I'm looking forward to this conversation. This is always a topic that comes up with parents of teens. You know, the the teens feel that they get to have whatever they want, that they deserve. So, and as you know, certain times of the year, it's worse than others. Yes. Usually around the holidays Mm -hmm. and birthdays, I feel. Yes, absolutely. And you know, just to make sure we're talking about the same thing. I, I, you know, I think the definition of a teenager or a kid who is entitled, I always say is one who has come to expect that which they do not deserve. That's a good one. Yes. yes. Used, yes. To, used to be known as spoiled. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But now we put a fancy label on it, right? Just to, you know, it just doesn't lower your self-esteem so much to say entitled. It sounds so much nicer. Is it just my imagination or my perception or just my own experience as a parent? Or do teens become more self absorbed and more self-focused than they were as children. I mean, some of my kids were really compassionate and thoughtful and um, paid attention to what was going on around them when they were younger. But then as they hit the teen years, something changed. Uh, Is something going on internally or psychologically that I'm missing here? Yeah, I think that's a really important question because uh, in some sense, the answer is yes, they do become more self-absorbed. But I think if you really watch it, really, they change in how they perceive themselves and they don't necessarily become more self-absorbed, but it becomes much more annoying in the way to do it. So the most self-absorbed child is an infant, really. I mean, they mm-hmm. don't they don't buy you presents. They don't care about anything, you know. But they are sweet and helpless, and nobody thinks, "Wow, you know, you're not doing anything for me." But uh, <laughs> you know, but through childhood, temperament varies. There are some, as you mentioned, Jessica, sweet children, and so forth. And so you see a natural temperament. But one of the main things to be aware of is that for all adolescents, their sense of self makes a significant significant leap. And so self-awareness, self-consciousness by 13 has really changed. It's actually the way that you think it changed cognitively into formal operational thought, which means that you really have this sudden kind of massive sense of self. And that's where teenagers, you know, are never strong enough, tall enough, good looking enough. They're just, you know, don't look at me, don't talk to me. It's a crushing self-awareness that is something that has to be 
worked out. But in the process of being preoccupied with trying to decide, what do I think of this body of mine that's changing pretty much every few weeks? What do I think of my abilities that doesn't seem to keep up with my friends? They're so busy with trying to figure out that pretty important task that basically the outgrowth of that is a a real self-absorption. They often don't have time to think about or don't focus on anybody but themselves. So Mm -hmm. yeah, they, they can be not necessarily more entitled than they used to be, but by adolescence, it's particularly irritating in a lot of kids. So it's kind of a combination between their crushing self-awareness and that my expectations of them are growing because I feel like you're old enough. You should be paying attention now. So what do we as parents have within our control and within our area of influence as far as our kids' entitled behavior goes? And you know, how do we respond to their demands? (laughs) Here's where it becomes difficult is that parents really notice it more when they're adolescents. But if you have not laid groundwork for kind of helping work against entitlement all through their childhood, then to be honest, it's tough to start now. It doesn't mean that you can't. But very often I work with middle class and upper middle class families in suburban Dallas area. And it's very easy to just raise your children as if it's a task that you as a parent need to do and basically be very self-absorbed as a parent. How am I doing? And my kid is happy even though they're doing okay in school. And so check, everything's fine. And it's easy to raise your children and not think about their own entitlement that you may yourself actually be contributing to. So hopefully you've started some of this before now. But if you haven't, don't panic about it. But it's it's important to really start training children working against entitlement. And the way you do that, and this is important, is not by being stingy or complaining about everything you give them. You know, Mm -hmm. you have all those things up in your room and you don't play with the toys you have. And that sort of shaming thing doesn't really help anything. I've never had a child or teenager come to me going, you know, I used to be all about myself, but then I got this really shaming, yelling talk from my mother. And (laughs) now I care about everyone and I'm starting my own charity. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't quite work that way. What you begin with is teaching your children about other people and their needs. You know, you remember when when Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all that he had, you know, I remember thinking for much of my life, like, wow, could I ever sell all I had? And I don't know when it was that I finally noticed he didn't tell him to sell all he had, told him to sell all he had and give it to the poor. Working against entitlement is not a matter of developing this real strong selflessness. It is about learning about how to be loving to other people. Mm-hmm. So what you have to put into your children, especially your teenager's mind, is not a constant focus on whether you as a child or teenager are being selfish. What you put in their mind is, have you thought about this other person? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you thought about your brother? What about your friend? A lot of it influenced whether you as parents do that. Do you have a family that goes to do charities? Do you specifically involve yourself with other families in a way where you serve? Do you serve at your church? Those things uh, children have watched their whole lives. And if you have a family where we just pretty much do our own thing for ourselves and each other, it's pretty tough to take a teenager and sit them down and say, hey, you're you're selfish. You should start thinking about other people because by that age, they're old enough to go, really? You don't? Yes. I think being intentional from the get-go is key. So Jessica and I want to share things that we've done from a young age with our children to, to set the example. Yep. But um, this sense of entitlement can be a trigger for me and my frustration as a parent because of my own experience. I was raised by 
my grandparents and my grandfather was disabled. So from yeah. a very young age, it really never was about me necessarily because I needed to pitch in and I needed help. And, you know, I helped my grandfather walk to his wheelchair and sit down and I would push him around. So I had that in my day to day life. So it was yeah. kind of instilled in me from a young age. Now that I am a mother and I have my children, they don't have those day in and day out opportunities. So I've mm-hmm. been very intentional about creating those opportunities since they were little because it was instilled in me because it was a way of life. Um, yeah. And that's the important thing. And Ashley, I think that's a really important kind of perspective because your grandparents, your family did not decide, here's how we're going to have uh, Ashley grow up so right. that she'll not be about herself. You can't make that up. Uh, it's not a Disney ride. It's mm-hmm. It was your real life experience. Experience. Right. So ironically, when it comes to entitlement, you had a better start at not being overly entitled, but nobody would have planned that for you. Right. Uh, it'll be harder for you not to entitle your children right. because, you know, you have opportunities for them that you did not have. So that's a weird, it's, it's an odd, people don't often think about that, but it's actually going to be tougher for you to help your kids fight against that uh, narcissistic self-focus than it was for you because that was the life you had. Right. Well, I know I've been indulgent in some areas. I'm to blame. And I think most parents could say this, you know, I'm not real indulgent with materialism or things that they have, but I have allowed my kids to do a lot of activities, to be a part of a lot of groups and things that really cost us a lot of time and money. And, you know, pretty much anything my kids ask to do um, as far as a school activity or event, I say yes to, but it's cost our family, you know, and even my husband and I in our marriage, just because it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money, you know, and so I realize that I've kind of put my kids in the center of everything and I'm to blame for some of this behavior and this attitude that I get to do what I want and I don't have to think of anyone else. Yeah, that's a good example. Think of how hard it is. You know, I have in my attic now, I talk about this too much, but several $60 tutu outfits, some yes. dance, something that <laughs> I calculate the uh, price per minute that they were actually <laughs> seen on stage. And I, I think it's about $7 a minute. I joke about it now, but of course, w- what are you going to do? No, mm-hmm. you can't do that thing that will be an important part of your growth and your connection with other people because I don't want you to be selfish. That You can't, how do you say no to that? If you can provide mm-hmm. it, you provide it. So again, I think that goes back to, I think the key to be thinking about is not as much, how do I not give stuff or overgive? That's always something you need to be careful with. But how do I instill in my children the focus and awareness of the needs of those around them? It's the difference between trying to become selfless versus loving. And there's nothing about character and certainly Christian character that values selflessness. That's kind of its own kind of narcissism, really. The value here is being loving and thinking about the needs of others and using the gifts, uh, the material things you have, the abilities you have to genuinely uh, meet the needs of those around you. That's really what anti-entitlement is more, is love. It's not selflessness. I think that's really good. And I really like to, you mentioned using their gifts, using the things that they're good at to serve and love others. And I think that's important to think about each of your kids and the temperaments that they have, the gifts and the talents that they have, the time that they have available and find those areas where they can give and it's fun. You know, find areas and ways to serve that is enjoyable for them. If they're a musician, that they find a way to play their instrument or to sing or do all of those things in a way that serves others and that thinks of others. And that you can do that in everything. Like a team sport, so many parents are so involved in sports, which I get it. But sports, none of your children's sports, let's be honest, 
honest here, are going to be their their source of income. And yet we talk with them and, and work with them as if their individual skill and ch- achievement is all that this is about. When, you know, you can take a team sport and absolutely comment and compliment your child about how he or she did. But, you know, talk about how this other kid is doing. And hey, I noticed that, you know, when you stand next to her on the field, she really seems more confident. And maybe you could, you know, help her with that. Really teach children to think about their peers in in how they might be able to help them, especially if they're gifted in something like music or whatever. How can they uh, help other people? Mostly by talking about the kids that are around them and being aware of the needs that they have. With teenagers, it's different. I want to hastily add, I don't want to add to teenage parents' speech list. If you've heard this podcast before, you know full well the ineffectiveness of speeches. Mm -hmm. So this would very much be in uh, the category of advice. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that. Advice sounds more like you own it yourself. Like, listen, this is probably none of my business, but here's what I was thinking about yesterday and it just kind of bothered me. And then you say the thing that you're suggesting, but uh, it's really tough to order and require teenagers to go out there and be loving. I want you to get out there and serve, (laughs) be selfless or you're ground. That's just stupid. You you can't remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> then they're defiant. You, they have a defiant attitude about it. And then it kind of defeats the whole purpose. That's exactly right. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't want good behavior, you know? You don't that's want it right. to look right on the outside. You want it to be right on the inside. Which is mm-hmm. important because it's a good way to put it. With children, I think, I'm. you know, you're fine with good behavior on the outside, especially mm-hmm. little children. Go and say you're sorry to your brother. Well, okay. why? Because they need to learn to say you're sorry. But right. a 15-year-old, go and say you're sorry. What good is that? If they don't mean it, you've accomplished nothing by requiring, I'm sorry. That's a much better thing to say. You know, I got to be honest. I noticed you didn't even bother to say you're sorry. And, uh, you know, that's up to you. But I, I thought you were better than that at this age. Some that you could really talk about uh, how you feel. But you, yeah, you don't require behavior of teenagers. You're not getting anywhere. Right. So if serving and loving others is the key to getting rid of entitlement with teenagers, yeah. Dr. Ken, don't you think setting the example as the parent should come first? That's critical. You know, that's what's really tough about teenagers. They're all eyes and ears. They notice. Right. So if, if you haven't done it without getting into an overly confessional speech, I do think you'd have to start your anti-entitlement focus in your household with your teenager with an apology. You know, dude, I got to tell you that, you know, we've been talking about our concern about your entitlement, but I, I got to tell you, um, your mom and I have been thinking of the same thing. I don't think we've done a great job with this. I mean, you just be honest. The worst thing is when teenagers come and go, you know, I'm like, so are y'all going to church? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All of a sudden, ever since dad remarried, now we're all church people. And you know, they can <laughs> see that we have changed from being what we were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's best to just be honest about that. And whether, if you haven't shown that example, but if you have shown that example, then yeah, I would definitely encourage you to continue to do so pretty intensely so that we're all going to go to the shelter uh, on Saturday and all of us have to go because that's what our family's doing. And it's important for us, you know, things that you require them to come along with the family. That's fine. Your example is a huge deal. Even if it's not a great example, if it's been mixed, then you can talk to them about that. I think that's so good. I was reminded the last year or so I've been thinking about entitlement in my own kids. And one thing I found that has been really interesting for my middle school daughter and I to do is a mother-daughter service organization. They've kind of got all the activities set up. You sign up for certain slots. She's learned what activities she enjoys volunteering in. She didn't enjoy pets, but she loves the older people um, mm. at the nursing home. I think that is a great way to get connected to what's going on in your community and in your area. And, you know, it's just one way that as a parent, 
I can model alongside That's her, right. exactly what I what I hope to see in her, you know, and she's seeing it with me. We're doing it together. That's a great example. I think that's really good, uh, and especially with uh, older people who so often get sho- sort of shuffled off into the corner. They love young people and a few young people are amazingly good at it. Younger teenagers are easily creeped out, so they can be kind of <laughs> not good with them. But I have seen some teenagers. We actually one of my nieces is gifted in this and just light up a room of older people. It ended up being a ministry of hers. It was beautiful to see the gift of being young and energetic and and the true ministry that that was uh, to the older people that were, you know, pretty lonely. Is there anything that you've tried, Ashley, that you found to be helpful or, or effective with your kids? So from a young age, I would have them memorize Galatians 5.13. And for the younger ones, we just summarized it by saying, serve one another in love. And that was kind of our motto. And they would see me taking casseroles to someone's house who had a loved one pass away. And so they would help me prepare the meal knowing we weren't going to eat this casserole. And so it would bring up questions like, well, why are we making food for somebody else? Why aren't we eating this? (laughs) That's right. That's a great example. And we would take it to a friend or we would go to Costco. We had a friend whose husband battled cancer for a while and we would go to Costco and we would go on this huge Costco run and none of it was for us. It was all for this family and it was just to bless them. And so they would ask questions. Why are we taking all of this food to so-and-so's house. Why aren't we taking it home? Well, because Mr. So-and-so is going through cancer. They would ask, why are we taking food to our friend? And it would give us an opportunity to explain that Mr. So-and-so, I'm not gonna say his name, has cancer and their family really needs our love. And this is one way we can love them is by bringing them food. And so it just looked like that. So one little little trick you might do for adolescents then is when you're doing those same things that you do as a parent, the things you minister to, and those are two good examples. I think as a parent of teenager, you, you want to feel free to become a lot more helpless, mm-hmm. like really telling your teenager, listen, I'm going to Costco. I've got to get some stuff. I really don't have time for this. Can you come with me? I really need you to help me, not with a stated purpose that this is a good thing we're doing, but right. really, you know, ask for their help so that they are participating in what you're doing without necessarily revealing that this is all about me helping you see things that, you know, teenagers don't like that, but absolutely feeling free to say, um, I need your help with this. That can be a way of them participating with you uh, right. without necessarily a little lesson attached. That's kind of my question for you, Dr. Ken. What if we have a listener listening and they're a parent of a teenager and they've never really taken this stance of serving to show their their child, their teenager, what advice would you give to that parent of, I have a 16 year old and I haven't been doing these things, but I would like to. Is it too late? Is it too far gone? Yeah, absolutely not. And again, I think the key there is to not come to your teenager uh, with this uh, sort of new program without addressing what you just said, which is, you know, you need to tell your teenager why you're concerned and you don't feel like you've done as good a job as you'd hope for in modeling this. Again, it's just with teenagers, better to be honest. Again, you're not offering confession. And yet at the same time, you want to let them know this is 
is my concern. And then secondly, uh, I would feel free to start some things as a family. It's a lot easier to require something of your teenager if we're all doing it. And so we're going to go and visit uh, at this uh, retirement center on Saturday. And I know we don't normally do this and I'm sorry, but you're going to need to go with us. And, you know, you can do start small like that. But uh, again, the point being the, the thing you want to start talking to your teenager about is not you are selfish and I'm trying to fix your selfishness. That doesn't help anything. The focus needs to be, I realize that we have kind of spun our life around our little family's needs. And I thought serving you as my child was all the service I needed to be doing. And I see now that I regret that. And uh, now that you're a grown up, I always like to judo flip things and say, you know, now that you're older, I think it's important uh, in your own life for you to know the things that I, I wish I'd done differently. So we've heard about this family who has had this difficulty and I really want to help them. And I'm hoping you'll come help me too. something like that, where you become just make the needs of others now a more consistent part of what we do, but do not make the focus of, wow, this selfish teenager of mine, that doesn't become the new focus. I've seen that a ton, Ashley, where parents actually sort of wake up. They don't like how selfish their teenager is. And the new campaign becomes, uh, let's once again, make a point of how, see how selfish you're being. Do you see that never helps anything? It just drives uh, their self-consciousness even deeper and uh, doesn't show. It's about being loving, not selfless. When I think if we open our eyes to see what's around us, there are a million opportunities to love and serve people around us. And our kids really want a sense of purpose. I think deep inside, they need to feel needed. And so having an opportunity to serve a family who's in need or a family that's moving by running over there and helping them move furniture, you know, kids have endless amounts of energy and they have, and they're strong. They can move furniture, anything that makes them feel like they're part of something that they're needed by other people. It makes us feel connected to those in our lives. So just helping our kids to open their eyes to see what's around them really benefits them and gives them purpose. Well, and as, and I'm, as a deacon in my church, I'll make a, a pitch as well that for Christian listeners, you know, we are to be a participating part of the body of Christ. So, so many of us are used to going to a church uh, as kind of an audience. We just sit there and then we go on home. You know, if you're new to that church, fine. But involvement in church is supposed to be service in that church mm-hmm. uh, and involving your children in that. And youth ministers do this a lot. I, I have offered over and over again to many youth ministers, here's a service that teenagers can do. Post two teenagers at the door of the auditorium, the sanctuary in your church with a sign over their head that says, I can show you how to silence your phone. And, and, <laughs> and, and they, they can help old people so that that La Cucaracha ringtone doesn't go off during... The final prayer, you know what I mean? Like that's a real thing that we need help with. But, you know, just participating in your church isn't supposed to be an optional thing. That's part of how you really involve yourself in the body that you are a member of. So that's my little pitch. Sorry. So good. No, I think that's so important that it, that is exactly what we should be doing as believers is being part of a family and a family needs each other. Uh, and if your church doesn't need you, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need you to be there for child care. They need you to be there as a greeter. We need each other. We need to be in community. And when we're doing that, it just brings out the best in us. You know, even, you know, a few years ago during Harvey, everyone was just pulling together and giving what they had. And it was incredible. And we were all so much better for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You guys were down in the Houston area when that was all happening. And 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 I'm sure everyone saw things, your kids saw things that will they'll never forget. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great example. But it's always sad whenever it's all over and 
said and done and things are fixed and everything's back in order, that that giving and that service stops. I know. And it always does. That's the nature of our sinful selves. It does. So uh, I think that's a great example. Well, this conversation has been fantastic and very helpful to my everyday life and the things that I'm dealing with my teenage um, kids. And I love that you said that service, love, compassion for others is what's going to counteract this entitlement in ourselves and in our children. So I appreciate you guys contributing your thoughts and your comments today. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com. 